Good to be in church this morning, isn't it? Last Sunday, I think the first Sunday that we have ever called church off completely due to the weather, and uh, wouldn't you know it, we did have a few people, I think, that showed up. They didn't get the word, and Dean Irwin was one of those, and he told me over the phone, he said, Kevin, that was the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. <laughs> get you. you know, I, I am sure that all of us have been in situations where we felt like all we could do was pray and cry out to God for help. And maybe even as I say that, that situation that you've been in like that comes to your mind. I was in one of those situations just a couple of weeks ago. I received a phone call from the sheriff's department the other person, or the person on the other end of the line was a bearer of bad news. One of our members, a good friend of mine, Andy Johnson, had committed suicide. Uh, I was shocked with the news. And as I got off the phone, all I could do was pray and cry out to God for help. Help for the family as to how they must be feeling. Help to be given to me as I needed to go and be with that family. What to say to them? How do you deal with, with that kind of a tragedy? I, I just, all I could do was say, God, help. I remember the day in early December that Dr. Hall sat down with my wife Cindy and I and told us that the gallbladder that had been taken from her body a week earlier had been discovered to have cancer in it. It was shocking news. And as he was telling me that, I, I just thought, God, help. Help us. And he did, praise the Lord. A month later, we were in another doctor's office, an oncologist. And after many tests had been run, that doctor was saying to us, the cancer's gone. It's, there's no trace of it anywhere in your body. And he said to Cindy, just go and live your life and enjoy it. And, and again, we, it was a time where all we could do was pray and cry. This time it was a prayer of thanks, and the tears were happy tears. I'm confident that every one of us have been in these kinds of situations, both in the good and in the bad, where all we could do was just pray. My daughter Rebecca is just nine weeks away from graduating from college, which is hard for Cindy and I to even grasp that. It seems like just yesterday she was graduating from high school and, and just the day before that we were bringing her home from the hospital and, and we're wondering where has the time gone to? But I, I'm putting myself in her shoes. She, she doesn't know yet what she's going to do after graduation. She's looking for work. She wants to do ministry. She wants to work with middle school girls. <laughs> That's her passion. She says, that's what gives me excitement. And, and I'm praying for her. I, I'm, I'm asking God to give to her a ministry. And she's sending her resume out. And for the longest time, there was no response coming back. But then over these last few weeks, there's been more response and more talking to different churches. And, and yet, it, she doesn't know. It's all in God's hands. 
All she can do is pray and trust God and wait and make sure she's doing her part. My brother-in-law, Stan, is in the same boat, except he's 61 years old. I think it was probably five months ago at least now that he was laid off of his job, and he's been looking for a new job ever since and, and finding that to be a very difficult thing. He said to me, Kevin, uh, you just can't get in anymore to talk to people face-to-face when you're looking for a job. Everything is, is online, and it seems no one's interested in a 61-year-old man. And he's in a position where all he can do is pray. And my question is, is that enough? You know, when we are at the end of our rope, is prayer enough? And my answer to that question is simply this. He is enough. He is bigger than any problem that we have, and He is able to help us, and He is able to get us through. And the way that we connect to Him is through prayer. In our text today from Luke chapter 11, Jesus is taking time to pray to His heavenly Father. And this was a very common thing for Jesus to do. In fact, as we read through the book of Luke, he gives attention to this fact over and over again in his writing. I want to read to you some of those different verses that highlight the prayer life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, it's at Jesus' baptism, and it says this, While he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says that it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says that Jesus was praying alone. Verse 28 of that same chapter says that he took Peter and James and John up with him onto the mountain to pray. Luke chapter 22, verse 41, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. What was he doing in that garden? He was praying. On his knees, pouring his heart out to God the Father. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he's on the cross. What was he doing? He was praying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus was a prayer warrior. And then in the text that we're looking at today, from Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. I find it very interesting that his disciples ask him to teach them to pray. And I find it interesting, too, they did not say, Lord, would you teach us how to preach? Would you teach us how to to, to, to look at a passage from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and teach us how to, how, to, how to preach that passage. No. They said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? They could see that this was very important to Jesus. This is where his heart was. 
They wanted to be able to pray the way he prayed. And so Jesus granted their request. And in the verses that follow, there in Luke chapter 11, he taught them what we call the model prayer. Verse 2, he said, when you pray, I, I want to stop right there for just a moment. He didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. There's a lot of difference between those two words. Jesus expected his followers to take time to pray. When you pray, say, Father. Isn't it amazing that we can address the God of this universe as Father? He's not far removed from us and uncaring to us. Rather, He is our Father. He knows us intimately. He knows every detail about us. And He loves us with an everlasting love. And He wants us to know Him too. And so he invites us to enter into his throne room with confidence. I'm betting that President Obama's kids have pretty open access to his office, don't you think? I mean, you and I, we couldn't even get near his office. In fact, we couldn't even get on the grounds because of security reasons. But his kids have free access to his office. Better than that, we have free access to the throne room of heaven and we can address the one who sits on the throne as Father. Could I encourage you to remember who you are in Christ? You are a child of the King. You are loved. You are of royal descent. Your worth is is far greater than gold or diamonds because He is your Father. Hallowed be your name is the next part of that prayer. If you're reading from the New Living Translation, it says this, May your name be kept holy. Think about that. Brothers and sisters, our Father's name is a sacred name. It is a name that is to be revered and given honor to. It is a name that is not to be used in vain. Nor is His last name, Damn. I hope none of us use His name that way. When you take time to pray... Remember who you're praying to. To God the Father. And His name is to be exalted above every other name. His name is to be valued. His name is to be lifted up. His name is to be magnified. His name is to be praised. His name is to be treated as holy. And when we pray, it would be good for us to begin our prayer with praise. Because that's what our God is worthy of. He is worthy of our praise. He is holy. He is good. He is eternal. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He is our provider and our protector. He is 
love. His grace is sufficient. He is the God of peace, and He is our comforter. He is present. He is our source of wisdom, our only hope. And so as you give attention to Him, begin your prayer with praise. And He will like that, and the blessing will return to you. Do you know what it does to your heart when you spend time in praise to God? It lifts your heart up. It gives you joy, and your heart and God's heart will be intertwined when you praise Him. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come is the next part of that prayer. Jesus is teaching us to pray for his kingdom to come soon. Do you pray about that? Do do you take, I, I have to be honest with you, that's something that I don't take the time to pray about very often, and I'm wondering, why don't I? It's, it's his instruction to me that I should be praying for his kingdom to come soon. And as I've thought about it this last week, why don't I pray that prayer? Why would we want to stay here where there is sin and murder and, and heartache of every kind when we could be enjoying God's perfect kingdom? If you weigh one against the other, there is no comparison. Keith Green used to say this, we are living in a garbage can down here when, when, when compared to what is going on up there. And so why wouldn't we pray for God's kingdom to come soon? His kingdom will be a perfect world where there is perfect peace and where there is perfect love between us and, and the devil will be gone and the curse upon this earth will be no more. No wonder John closed his book of Revelation with these words, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It was a prayer. And you remember John had had an opportunity to to get a glimpse into heaven, to see what the kingdom is really like. And so it's no wonder that he says, Lord, would you just come today? Your kingdom come, Jesus said. And I say amen to that. May God's kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. It's a request for him to meet our needs. And it's okay for us to pray about that. Sometimes in, 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 in days past, I've run across people that were reluctant to pray for themselves. They were willing to pray for others and their needs, but they were hesitant. They were uncomfortable asking God to meet their own needs. I want you to know that is not biblical thinking. Jesus, in his model prayer, instructs us to pray for our daily needs. By doing so, we are asking Him to be a part of our daily life. We are acknowledging to Him that we believe He is the provider and we need His help. We are saying to Him, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I need Your help. Would You provide for me and my family? I need a job. I need healing. 
I need food on my table. I need a car that runs. Now, notice I didn't say that we should pray for a new car. You know, that, that might not be a need. That may be more of a want. And we have to differentiate between the two. In my mind, in this day and age, most of us probably need a car, one that is dependable, one that we can get in and go. And so God says, if that is a need, then ask. And I would imagine as we ask Him for our daily bread we are going to have stories to tell. I hope that you've taken the time to look at some of the stories that are posted on the walls, the window here in the lobby. And if you go into the the old building, you'll see stories on the walls all through the hallways. And it's wonderful and it's encouraging to see how God has worked in so many people's lives. He is a great God. Amen? He's our Father. And He loves to give His children what they need. Sometimes He will give to us exactly what we ask for. Sometimes He will give us more than what we ask for. And that's fun. Sometimes, though, He will say, No, I'm not going to give that to you because that's not what is best for you. And here, let me do this instead. And God knows best. His ways are right. He is a good father who loves his children. He invites us to come to him and ask him for our daily bread. And next he says this. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's verse 4 out of Luke chapter 11. And I like how the New Living Translation treats this verse. It says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus here in this text is instructing us to ask God for forgiveness. And we need that. All of us do. We're sinners. We have need of His forgiveness. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We do have sin. And so we confess that sin to Him, because He is the one who can forgive us. But note the rest of that verse. It says, Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Our own forgiveness is dependent upon our willingness to forgive others. I cannot emphasize enough to you the importance of letting go of those offenses that have been come against you. It doesn't even matter who is right and who's wrong. What matters is that you forgive so that you can be forgiven. I have a little something I want to read to you from one of Corey Ten Boom's books. You know, she she is was such a saint from years ago who has taught us much about this subject of forgiveness. A lot of us have have read and we've heard. I, I've used her story uh, several times in sermons about her forgiveness towards that Nazi soldier who was 
looking over her at that concentration camp that she was in. This particular reading that I want to give to you today is something I'd never read before from her writing. I quote from her. She says, I recall the time, and I was almost... And I was almost 70 when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. You would have thought that having been able to forgive the guards in Ravensbrook, forgiving Christian friends would be child's play. It wasn't. For weeks I seethed inside, but at last I asked God again to work his miracle in me. And again it happened. First the cold-blooded decision, then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father. Then why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night rehashing the whole affair? I sat up and switched on the light. Father, I thought it was all forgiven. Please help me. But the next night, I woke up again. They talked so sweetly, too. Never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm. Help me. Then it was that another secret of forgiveness became evident. It's not enough to simply say, I forgive you. I must also begin to live it out. And in my case, that meant acting as though their sins, like mine, were buried in the depths of the deepest sea. If God could remember their sins no more, then neither should I. And the reason the thoughts kept coming back to me was, I kept turning them over in my mind. And so I discovered another of God's principles. We can trust God not only for our emotions, but also for our thoughts. As I asked him to renew my mind, he also took away my thoughts. He still had more to teach me, however. Even from this single episode, many years later, after I had passed my 80th birthday, an American friend came to me in Holland. As we sat in my little apartment, he asked me about those people from long ago who had taken advantage of me. Oh, it's nothing, I said smugly. It's all forgiven. By you, yes, he said, but what about them? Have they accepted your forgiveness? They, and, and Corey says, they say there is nothing to forgive. They deny it ever happened. No matter what they say, though, I can prove that they were wrong. I went eagerly to my desk. See, I have it right here in black and white. I saved all their letters, and I can show you where Corey, my friend, slipped his arm through mine and gently closed the drawer. Aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea? Yet are the sins of your friends etched in black and white? For an astonishing moment, I could not find my voice. Lord Jesus, I whispered at last, who takes all my sins away, Forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence against others. Give me grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to your glory. I did not go to sleep that night until I had gone through my desk and pulled out all these letters. Curling now with age, and I fed them into the coal-burning blaze. 
As the flames leaped and glowed, so did my heart. Forgive us our trespasses, Jesus taught us to pray. As we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And for some of you, that's been your story. Some of you wrote down on your paper of what God has done for you. You said, He helped me to forgive. I noticed one that said, He helped me forgive my father. He helped me forgive my ex-spouse. Whoever it is, it that you have forgiven, when you find that forgiveness, you understand it is so freeing, isn't it, to forgive? The weight is lifted. The burden that goes along with a grudge is taken away from you. It's laid at the foot of the cross. The blood of Jesus that has been shed for your sins, it's paid for that grudge. If you're one that hasn't been freed yet, give your offenses to Jesus. Otherwise, you're like a person going around trying to live their life with a 100-pound barbell on your shoulders, and it just gets so heavy. And lastly, Jesus said this in his model prayer, lead us not into temptation. It's really a prayer for deliverance. Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer even adds the phrase, but deliver us from the evil one. We need his help in this battle that we are in. All around us, this battle is raging. The enemy has his sights set on each and every one of us, and his attacks are relentless. Our prayer should be to God that he would deliver us that he would help us, that he would guide us so that we would not walk into the traps that the enemy has set for us. Without his supernatural help, we are doomed to fall to the devil's arsenal. It just makes sense that we would pray for God to deliver us. So how how is your prayer life? Are you praying according to the model that Jesus has taught us? And that doesn't mean that we pray the exact same words, word for word, that Jesus prayed. That's not what he's getting at for us. But that we follow his instruction, that we consider this prayer as a model prayer. And, And it teaches us how to address God. It teaches us how to praise God, to treat him as holy, to pray for his kingdom to come, to pray for our daily bread, to pray for forgiveness as we forgive others, and to pray for his help amidst temptation. You know, it would be good for you and for me to pray and to ask Jesus, Lord, would you teach me to pray? His disciples ask him that. That's a request we ought to ask too. And then take time to learn by going into the prayer closet 
and learning to pray. Let me give to you two things, just brief points as we're, we're talking about prayer today. Jesus is saying to his disciples, be persistent in your prayers. And he teaches them this point by telling them a parable. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to that friend at midnight and you knock on his door and you say from the outside, would you please get up and give me some bread? I mean, can you imagine this happening? You've had somebody come visit you and they're hungry and it's past the midnight hour. You don't have any food for them in your house and so you go next door to your neighbor and you wake them up by pounding on the door and say, will you get up and give me some bread that I can give to my visitor? And inside your friend answers back, I'm in bed, my family's in bed, go home, leave me alone, it's past midnight. But you keep on knocking. You keep on knocking. Give me, give me some bread. I need some bread. And you keep on asking, what's your friend going to do? He's going to get out of bed and he's going to meet your need because he wants you off of his back. And the point is this. Be persistent in your praying. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. And it may be that your persistence is what will win over the heart of God in what it is that you are praying about. Not only is Jesus teaching us to be persistent, he says be bold in your praying. Don't hesitate to ask of God big things. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. I mean, why wouldn't we ask God for big things? Asking for lost souls to be saved. Asking for miracles of healing. Asking for marriages to be restored. Asking for your prodigal son or prodigal daughter to come home. Asking for America to repent asking for families that are split apart to be brought back together, asking for great things to happen. Why wouldn't we ask him that? James 4.2 says you do not have because what? You don't ask. And I'm wondering if we are missing some miracles simply because we are not being bold enough in our prayers to ask for those miracles. Luke one thirty seven says, nothing will be impossible with God. And so why wouldn't we ask Him for the impossible things to happen? If you read some of these stories around the building, you get the idea that God is still in the business of doing the impossible. I mean, just take the time to walk around the building and see the miracles that He's been doing among us. And by the way, when we ask Him to do something, 
and he does it? Let's give him the praise. Let's recognize it as an answer to prayer, and let's not write it off as good luck or a coincidence. I want to tell you something that happened just two weeks ago. It was God answering a prayer. Upward basketball was getting ready to start. My responsibility with upward basketball is to get all the referees. And I'll just tell you the truth. There's not a lot of people standing in line wanting to be a referee for upward basketball. And, And here we are a week away, and about half of the referees that I needed were obtained. And so I went to Paul, and I'm saying, hey, This is the situation. We need, we need some referees. And so we, in our talking, we said, you know, we need, to, we need to pray about this. And Paul, I wish, I wish this would have been my idea, but it was Paul's idea. Paul said, I'll call Gene Armstrong, and we'll put it on our prayer email, and we'll get the whole congregation to be praying about this. And he did that that day and I'm honest to God true by the next day we had more referees than we had knowledge of what to do with them and and don't don't Kevin don't even begin to go down that road of saying that was coincidence that was good luck no that was an answer to prayer You don't have because you don't ask. And so, be persistent in your praying and be bold in your praying and ask for God to do big things. Because He's still in the business of doing big things. Amen? So let's bow our heads. And would you pray this prayer with me, Lord? Would you teach me to pray? Would you help me be persistent? And would you help me be bold in my praying? And thank you, God, that you... Hear our prayers. It's in the the blessed name of your son Jesus that we pray.